All right, welcome back to another Friday episode of MVP Real Estate Podcast, Season 3, Episode 19. Uh, we got Stephen Patternack, Patternack, yeah, correct? You said it right. yeah. Uh, from New York, uh, one of the five boroughs. Are you from Manhattan? I know you said you own a business in Manhattan. I am actually born and raised in the Bronx. Okay, so Yankees fan, I imagine. Oh, diehard, pinstripes. All right, they're, do they're doing pretty well this year. They are. They are. They're actually. So hopefully uh, they keep this up. Yeah, I'm actually very surprised and very happy with uh, their pitching staff more than anything else. I mean, they're known yes. as the Bronx Bombers, so you know they're going to hit. But their pitching staff is what's really, uh, uh, sh uh, really starred this year so far, and I hope it continues. Yeah, and I haven't watched much. Being an ex uh, college baseball player, I haven't watched much baseball this year, but I have not seen their bullpen yet. Well, their bullpen's awesome. I mean, is it? Yeah, it really is. Their weak spot, which is funny to say now, is their closer, which used to be their strength. Chapman is right. their weak spot at this point. But really? they've got, yeah, they've got this guy, uh, King. They've got uh, Chad Green. They've got uh, a whole bunch of guys in there that really are doing amazing. So their setup guys are real. Their middle bullpen is really doing very well for them. Good. I hope they completely sweep Boston and Boston does not <laughs> score a single run this year. For any Boston fans out there, I'm sorry. My husband will not be very happy with you. Oh my gosh. The most obnoxious fans in the world, Boston Red Sox. I'm not going to argue with that, but. <laughs> I can't disagree with you. Yeah, I'm not, we, we are not very big on uh, the Red Sox over here. Good. We, we have agreement there. And it spreads, right? Like, I don't like the Celtics. I don't like the uh, Patriots. I don't like, uh, you know, I don't like uh, Boston Lager. You know, like, I, yeah, <laughs> there's nothing about Boston. that Anything uh, with Boston. Yeah. I was trying to figure out when I was younger, because I grew up, obviously, in the heyday of the Yankees, watching the Yankees. They were always on TV. So, like, as a kid, I gravitated to who I watched. So, John Manningly my favorite. What is it? John Manningly is my favorite baseball player of all times. So Donnie baseball. I love, go. I love him. Um, but I couldn't figure out why I hated Boston so much until I was older. It's their, their passion for their sports is so high. It's annoying. <laughs> yeah. That is what I hate about Boston sports. It's they're just so over the top. You just got to relax a little bit. Yeah. I mean, they get a really bad rap. I mean, we are very rowdy fans also and very diehard fans here in the Bronx, but like, it's just something about, Boston fans, it just, I, I don't know, just rubs me the wrong way. And I can never yeah. get it. And you have like 9 million possible fans in New York. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's <laughs> a lot of people here doing a lot of different things. So, you know, there's, uh, you fit them all with it. I think Yankee Stadium, the new Yankee Stadium holds about 50,000 people. So, on an average game, you probably got 30, 35,000 people in there. And playoffs come, you're sold out. So, you, it's, it's, it's an amazing yeah. environment. Yeah, it is very cool. Um, well, getting on to uh, the real estate side of things and what you take over there in the New York market, um, it sounds like you've got multiple companies going on right now. So we always started out, give us a little background of kind of where you came from um, and how you got to the position you're in right now. Okay. So, um, so I start, I'm really kind of like born into real estate, to be honest. Like my, uh, my grandfather was a building superintendent. Um, my father didn't want to do blue collar work. So he basically trained under my grandfather's boss, 
who I now know as my uncle Bill, who owned a, a, a lot of properties throughout New York City. So my dad basically, from the time he was a kid, kind of learned the business, right? So as he got older, he started getting into real estate and he started buying properties and acting as a, as a real estate agent. He was never necessarily licensed as a real estate agent, but back then it was a lot different sort of environment and there wasn't so many rules. So he was able to do deals for, um, you know, for people and they didn't really require licenses. Um, and he was doing mostly, really? yeah, he was doing mostly commercial stuff too. So the commercial real estate market is a lot different than the residential. The wild, wild west of commercial real estate. Exactly. So, you know, he, so I, I kind of like grew up at the dinner table talking about deals and valuing apartment buildings. And, and honestly, like, you know, you were talking before about you spend a lot of your time managing your rental properties. Like that's really how I made my bones in the business was you know, learning how to manage properties. You know, when I was like 13, 14 years old, you know, my, my summer job was I had to go and, you know, uh, uh, basically separate the garbage from the recycling and I had to go paint apartments and I had to, you know, like, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie, The Super with Joe Pesci, where like, no. uh, yeah, it's, it's a really, it's a, it's a great movie. It's a funny movie, but uh, you know, there's a scene where he's a little kid and his dad is taking him around to go collect the rents. And okay. that's what like my Saturday mornings were, right? It was we go, we wake up, we go get go to the diner, get some breakfast, and then we go around to all the buildings, we pick up some rents. You know, and for me as being a kid, it, it was cool. It was like, you know, like I, I, I my dad was around, you know, thank God. And uh he I got to see that he was actually, you know, making money and I could see what deals, how they were valued and and what your your income limits were. And there really were no limits, right? So like yeah. if he met somebody. And they wanted to buy a, a 30 unit building where they had, you know, two or $3 million, you know, when you're, you know, when you're 13, 14 years old, you're like, wow, that guy has a million dollars, you know, yeah. now a million dollars will get you a single family house or barely, a, you know, whatever. But back then it was like, wow, this is really interesting. So, you know, I kind of grew up in the business, right? So I went to college and when I graduated college, I got out. First thing I did was I got my real estate license. My dad said to me, listen, very simple. You have two choices. You're either going to go down and get a job um, working in your field, which is public relations. At that time, you know, uh, the going rate for starting in PR was probably around 40K a year, 40, 45K a year. Oh, he said, or you can work with me for a year. I'll give you 500 bucks a week cash. But the caveat is that you're only going to get paid for one year. Once one year comes up, I'm not going to pay you anymore. You don't have a paycheck anymore. So, you know, I had to sit there and say, all right, so what am I going to do here? So I chose to, to go to, to, to school with my dad essentially for a year. And by the time that year came up, you know, the, the, uh, to the day he was like, listen, this is your last paycheck. How much do you have in the bank? And I was like, I got a couple, you know, I got like three or four grand in the bank. Cause I had done, I had sold a couple co-ops or whatever it was. Nice. He was like, good. Now I'll show you how to budget that money out and keep stuff in your pipeline. So I was learning from a very young age. That's kind of how I got into the business. And then, you know, in 2009, my father, uh, my father passed away. So I kind of, you know, it left a big hole in my mentorship, so to yeah. say. And that's kind of like right around the time I met, you know, the guys over at Keller Williams and they kind of filled that void for me, so to say, like teaching me more about like actual like nuts and bolts of like lead generation, lead follow-up system, yeah. trainings, all these different things. Um, then comes 2012. I met a, I met a buddy of mine who uh, was doing some real estate deals. He said, listen, I don't know how to manage properties, but you know, I, I have money and I want to invest it. Let's become partners. So we bought a three family house 
Um, and then from that three family house, we built a portfolio now of about 30 properties. So I, I do sales as a real estate broker. Um, I manage, I own and manage properties that with my partner. And then I also help people, um, you know, in, in another industry, I, I always had a thing for the bar business. I started bartending when I was like 17, 18 years old in college. And it kind of just led me down this thing of loving the nightlife. So yeah. in 2014, me and my brother, we opened up a bar in Manhattan. So those are my three buckets. And that's kind of how I got here where I am now. That's awesome. Uh, the bartending is always fun. I bartended <laughs> through college. That was the only job I could do through school, baseball. Uh, I was left with bartending. And I was like, all right, sounds good. Who doesn't um, want to be a bartender? I mean, it was, uh, you know, until you get to be my age now, I'm I'm about to be 41. It's like, now I don't want to do the late nights. Yeah. You know, I have a manager that stays there. I'm out of there by nine, 10 o'clock. I've got a manager who stays there until closing next morning. I wake up, I look at the reports. So, you know, as you get older, the nightlife kind of wears on and, you know, it's just, it's not the scene for, for somebody, if you really want to be successful in business. And I learned that there's only so much money I can make in the bar. And I always go back to what my dad told me, like, there's no limit on the amount of money you can make in real estate. So I kind of do like, you know, the, the time valuation, right? Like how much is my time worth? If I want to make yeah. $300,000 a year, how much is every hour worth? So every hour that I'm working at the bar, I'm taking away from being able to do real estate and really hit my potential and, and do what I really love, which is help people. Yeah. And what's really nice is you brought in partners on both of them. So even if you're not there, things are still being run, taken care of, which is super smart. Delegating is important, but very difficult. At yeah, the same I mean, the time. only business that I own 100% of is my real estate business. And that's my baby, right? Yeah. Like, you know, like I, I formed my first LLC in, uh, what was it, 2007, right? So I got my license in like 20, 2005. Two years later, you had to serve as a salesperson before you can get your broker's license. Yep. Got broker's license for my first LLC. So I've had a company now since 2007, going on 15, 16 years at this point. That's awesome. Congrats. Thank you. Thank on you. On that one. A lot and of hard what work. I, what I really wanted to point out, we had a guest uh, about a month ago who talked about his mom and her twin sister and That's the funny. difference between their lifestyles. And one of the things he said was, what they talked about at the dinner table made a world of difference for those kids. Mm -hmm. um, so you growing up in that eclectic, you got your building superintendent uh, culture from your grandpa. You yeah. got the business side, the, the office work from your dad. Yeah. And now you can kind of put that together and, and build your powerhouse of now 15 years of your own company. Yeah, it's, it's, it's it, you know, I really feel blessed to be honest with you. And, and which is why I have such a passion for helping people. Cause I feel like, you know, one of the things that I try to talk about a lot is generational wealth. And people don't realize that like people who own their own home, their children have a significantly better advantage than anybody else. Because, you know, even if you just buy that one house, and that's the only house you ever live in for the rest of your life. Like you're actually owning something and you're building equity every single month. And by the time their parents, you know, whenever their parents pass away, their children are going to be left with some sort of an asset. Yeah. And, you know, and, and people who own their own homes, their kids tend to be, you know, better educated and they just have all these different advantages. And, and the fact that home ownership is so um, easy to attain at this point, I don't want to say easy. Let me rephrase. It's, it's simple, not easy. Right. Like it's simple. Yeah. 
you know, make sure you, you know, you, you budget yourself, you make sure that you, you know, go out there and you look at all the different loans that are out there, the FHA loans. If you're a veteran, you got the VA loans. There's so many different programs out there. The information's there. So like for me, like learning all these things from my father and from my, you know, I never met my grandfather, but my father and, and just being in this environment helps me push so much in my business because I try to tell people all the time, like, it's not like I'm this, you know, uh, uh, sort of like a unicorn, right? Like I grew up in the Bronx in an apartment building where there's plenty of nights where there was no heat, no hot water. You know what I mean? I grew up in a predominantly like, um, and we were not poor. I'm not saying we were poor. We were like, you know, upper middle class, I would say, or middle class. But, you know, my dad always talked about not settling and not working with your two hands. And then there's only so much that you can do with your two hands, but with your mind, you can accomplish anything. And this is what I just preach. And, and this is why I like to help people and help people attain home ownership and create that generational wealth, because I feel like it's, it, this is America. It should be open to everybody. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And that mission behind your, your brokerage, I'm sure, helps you keep pushing, keep the, yeah. the leads coming in, keep new people coming in that you can now help get to that next echelon of, I'll call it lifestyle or generational wealth, which is what you uh, were talking about. Because who knows what happens when when you buy that house and obviously your, your parents pass and you take over, you've no idea what that house will turn into for that generation, the next generation after that, and what you can build from it. Um, yep. But that well, obviously comes with the communication. You know, you're paying, listen, as you go through life, wherever you live, you're paying somebody's mortgage. It's either your own or somebody else's. Yeah. <laughs> yep. it, yeah. Yeah. Might as well make it yours. Yeah. Right. You're paying somebody's exactly. mortgage. Thinking, you're, you're, you're sending somebody else's kid to college. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So with, with the portfolio of properties you own, do you stay pretty much in the New York market or where did those span span to? It's I know there's point. no Boston. There's no, no Boston. Homes. Yeah, no, nothing in Boston. So it, it, it's, it's, it, it's a great question because when we first started, we started with a three family house. After a three-family house, you know, we stayed in our backyard, you know, we, 10 minutes away in the Bronx, we bought like a six-family. And then from the six-family, we, you know, we kept like leveling up. We went from the six-family to like a 20-unit. And then after the 20-unit, wow. we bought like a portfolio of like 30 units spread out over like five or six small buildings, but all in the Bronx. The Bronx was our, you know, our go-to. And then we made a huge leap and we went from like, you know, a 30-unit portfolio to buying like a 76-unit portfolio in Queens, now I've been to Queens plenty of times, never City Field because I'm not a Mets fan either. But uh, <laughs> but it was a, you know like we you know we bought these three properties out there, so I started spending time in Queens and I started getting used to like okay I got to drive 45 minutes to work. Like you know my commute to work was always five minutes. Like literally like my office was downstairs. My dad had our office in the basement of where. Uh, where we live so no separation from work but now so i'm driving 45 minutes out to queens and then from queens we're like listen the new york market's very tough um only because there wasn't a lot of deals out there so somebody had presented us an opportunity in connecticut right so we went out we bought a bunch of uh um i want to say there were tax i think that's what they were they were tax uh tax auctions so we were buying properties for like 50 cents on the dollar in connecticut and we bought like 130 or 140 units in connecticut so now my commute 45 minutes out to Queens. So now I've got the Bronx portfolio. Then I got Queens. And now I'm traveling 90 miles to go out to Connecticut four or five times a week. So it got to the point. Yeah. So I was spread out. Right. Yeah. And, then I'm, you know, and at that point I was like, you know, early thirties, 
you know, late twenties, early thirties, you know, and going into like my, my mid thirties. And I'm like, all right, I could do this after a year or two. Like it just became too stressful. And I said, my, I told my partner, I said, listen, I can't continue to go to Queens, to Connecticut. Like we have to, you know, sell the properties in Connecticut or figure out how to figure out a new structure. And what we did was we sold the properties in Connecticut. We sold the properties in, uh, we didn't sell the properties in Queens yet, but we sold the properties in Connecticut and we invested in New Jersey. Okay. And we started doing development deals out there. So it's kind of like in real estate, and I'm sure you, you probably know this, but like you kind of got to step your game up all the time, right? Like yeah. first you buy a single family, then it's a two family, then it's a multifamily, then it's you're buying, um, you know, properties. And again, I have my u- unique experience of managing property. So I was able to go into a property and say, you know what, there's 500 violations here, but 400 of them are like paint and plaster. I can get this work done yeah. where other people wouldn't see opportunity. I was able to see opportunity. So we went to value add deals. Then we went to construction. So we sold the Connecticut stuff. We went out to Jersey. Um, and then honestly, like Jersey just kind of took off for us and the construction business really took off for us. And New York city in 2019 passed a very monumental rent uh, stabilization law. And basically they, 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 the, the, the city uh, the state is run as a democratic state and the Democrats are more, and I don't want to get political, but they are more for um, pro-tenant, right? Yeah. So if you could have a tenant that literally doesn't pay you rent for 12 months, 15 months, 16 months. I mean, I've got tenants that haven't paid me from the beginning of COVID and we're going on two years and some change and you can't, and I'm not yeah. about to make people homeless, but at the same time, like my taxes go up, my fuel bills go up. Everything yep. goes up, but I can't figure out a way to recoup the expenses or get that, that property back that I bought and I paid for. So yeah. we decided that New York was going to be too tough. So we, we didn't want to deal with the laws anymore. New Jersey is a lot more, um, um, I guess you could say, open to dealing with landlords and, and investment, pro-investor, I guess is the best way to say it. So we, we sold the stuff in Queens and we just doubled down in Jersey. Um, so right now, currently 90% of my portfolio is in New Jersey, which is within um, an hour of where I live. Um, and then I have some stuff that my father had left for us in the Bronx, with my, which my older brother manages, does a great job managing them. Um, and that's it. So everything is now kind of scaled, I guess you could say, because yeah, too spread out. Yeah. Uh, that's the thing that we're working with too, is <clears throat> I keep everything consolidated within at least an hour of the house. Yeah. Um, because it just, I haven't gotten over that hurdle of getting somebody else to manage my properties. I'm here, I can do it. I'm able body, I can do it. But at some point, like you said, with your place in Connecticut, something's got a tip. There's a tipping point of where it's actually worth it. And you got to figure out which way you want to go. So it's, that's good that you're able to pull the capital out of all those properties that you bought 50 cents on the dollar. Hopefully yeah. sold them for more. We did very well. That to go into yeah, that New Jersey did. market. We did very well. And then Connecticut, of course, once COVID hit, it's funny because once COVID hit, the Connecticut market went through the roof because everybody was leaving the city. Yeah. So like if we would have held on longer, we probably would have made a lot more money. But you know what? In hindsight, it's like quality of life for me was was really important. And I just they were they were like D and C class communities. So they were very tough to manage. It wasn't like you're dealing with people that are paying their rent on the first of the month and you're not renting apartments to people who have 700 credit scores and, you know, are making a hundred thousand dollars a year. Every single rental you're doing, you're literally making a judgment call. It's like, all right, listen, you know, you seem like a nice guy, you know, give me a reference. You know what I mean? Like, so the quality of life was very hard. It was tough to manage. And, you know, I'm glad of the decision that we made. And again, I, I, you know, thank God that we were blessed enough to be able to time things right. 
up until this point. And of course, now construction has its own hurdles because we're learning the game there, right? Yep. Like we started with building like, you know, eight units and then we built 10 units. And now currently we're working on building a 36 unit. And then in the works down the pipeline, the next project's going to be a 70 unit. So it's like, we're always looking to like, push the envelope and learn more as we go. And, and my partner, you know, he's an amazing person to, to work with because he's like the yin to my yang. I'm very much like dealing with people and dealing with this. And he's more like numbers. And I'm like, Oh, you know, let's pull the trigger. Let's buy this. And he's like, listen, if you look at it from this, this say blah, blah, blah. and you know, he calculates and this, he's, an he's amazing, bad cop. yeah. <laughs> person too. I totally get it. Yeah. So, you know, it's just, uh, it, it was, it's a learning process and we had to scale it because as you know, you got to have your vendors, you got to have your electricians, you got to have your workers. And even from a labor standpoint, right? Like if you have a property that's 50 miles away from somebody else, just getting a super or a porter or somebody to go and just pay them to do one property doesn't make sense. Yeah. Gotta spread them out and, and run it through the management company. Like there's just so many different ways to, to do it when you have, scale in multiple units in one yeah area. yeah uh the one thing i wanted to touch on that you'd mentioned was the exodus um obviously with the law coming in being very tenant favoring yep. uh landlords were skittish so they were leaving obviously with the again not to get political but the crackdown with the, the whole lockdown in new york a lot of the citizens were yep. leaving obviously you start out with like 20 million, but with the exodus of investors and just normal, your, your citizens in New York is real estate struggling in New York. Is it coming back? Like, what are you seeing directly in your market, either from the investor side or you being a broker? Like, what yeah. are you seeing in New York now? You know, it's, 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 it's a loaded question. I feel like, because, you know, when you ask me, how's the market in New York, I mean, there's so many different markets, right? Like I'll give True. you, I'll give you the, the markets that I work in most. Yeah. So what's happening in New York right now from a small investor side, right. Is you had a lot of people who like owned one property, right? Like a, a husband who was a plumber and, and bought like a six family house and him and his wife lived in one apartment and they rented out the other ones and they stayed there for a very long time. Those type of landlords are getting hurt tremendously because okay. of the fact that we can't, they can't go after the rents. So they have three other tenants in their building that are not paying rent. That's their only property. Right. Yeah. So those type of small landlords are getting hurt. Right. And the, the foreclosures haven't started yet, but they're going to start very soon. Um, and those type of landlords are, are the ones that are getting hurt. The ones that are making money right now, the ones are the funds. A lot of money is coming in from overseas. A lot of people who have millions and millions of dollars in the bank, they're buying these properties, knowing that they're going to take a loss for a couple of years, and, but they're able to sustain it. So those are the type of buyers that are coming in now in my market. And we're talking about like Bronx multifamily. So like, you know, six to 30 units. That's like a market that I could say is like one of my niches. That's what I'm yeah. seeing there. Okay. Um, from the residential standpoint, listen, you know, I, I, I do a lot of work in Yonkers, which is Westchester County, which is literally shares a border with the Bronx. So like you could walk from the Yonkers to the Bronx. It's that close. Okay. Home prices when COVID hit, um, in Yonkers and Westchester County, right outside all of like the suburbs, right outside of New York City, they're up 30% right now. 
because yep. everybody left the city and wanted to get away and wanted to have a front yard and wanted to have this. And what happened is it created a sense of uh, um, where it, it created a seller's market. So you're talking about, you've got people that are bidding 30, 40, $50,000 above asking price for a single family house that two years ago, you, you could have bought for probably, uh, you know, 90% of list price. Yeah. So that is still going on, to be honest with you. It's cooling down a little bit. Like I look at the absorption rate a lot. And, you know, so in, in you know, specific zip code specific, overall in Yonkers in Westchester County, it's probably, you know, a bit of a seller's market still, but it's it's trending towards normaling out. And, and the, the rise in interest rates over the past couple of months have obviously helped that. Because yep. a lot of the buyers, you know, the people who are buying properties and the people that were leaving the city, a lot of them, and I'm not talking about the super wealthy right now. I'm talking about like the blue collar guys that make seventy to $100,000 a year and are buying their first home or, you know, are just getting into home ownership. Those payments that were, you know, three grand a month are now 3,500 a month. And their DTI just doesn't cut it because they're not getting yeah. raised in their work. So it's cooling it down a little bit. Um, and that's kind of like on the residential side. Now, in Manhattan, listen, the, the one market that's suffering the most, I would say, is probably office space, retail. Yeah. Office and space. I've been seeing that everywhere. Yeah. yeah. Look at all the remote workers now. I mean, why? Exactly. I mean, I'm literally doing this interview from a, an office in my, uh, in my house that I've built as an office space because, you know, it's just that's what had to happen during COVID. So retail and, and even retail, like people don't want to spend money on, you know, these big box sort of like, you know, retail spaces anymore. So landlords are like giving them away right now in New York City. Like in Manhattan right now, there is a ridiculous amount of retail space that's available, ridiculous amount of office space. I personally feel that the city should come in and start allowing some of that retail and office space to be used other ways. I mean, we have a huge crisis with homelessness here in New York yeah. City. And I feel like they're, they're not allowing the zoning laws to change. They're not allowing landlords because a landlord that's sitting on this office space, you know, and again, you have to keep like the financial district kind of, you know, as office space, but the outer areas what I feel like they could repurpose it. And now the landlord could get some money by doing deals with the city where they lease their space out to maybe homeless shelters. And then the city will pay vouchers to that landlord. And now the landlord is going to be able to receive some income coming in. There's going to be homeless people that are being taken off the streets. And it's a win-win for everybody. But the city hasn't gone that far yet. And, um, you know, it, it's just not gotten there yet. But that's what's suffering the most down in Manhattan. Is that something that's being talked about in that area or is that? It's being kicked around. Um, it hasn't gotten any traction yet though. Okay. And you know, I, my, uh, my older brother, you know, ran for city council uh, a year ago and it was one of the things that he was trying to get on his agenda. And one of the things he was talking about and, but there's not enough people talking about it. It's, it's more of a personal opinion, to be honest with you. Um, what they were talking about, and our, our last mayor, we have a new mayor here now, um, our new mayor is Eric Adams. Prior to him was Bill de Blasio. One of the things that Bill de Blasio was trying to do was he was trying to take like these mother-daughter setups uh, where you have like a single family, but it has a legal basement. 
um, and, and legalize the apartment downstairs. So that way you could try to get some money from that, but that never actually panned out either. And, and honestly, one of the biggest things right now, and it goes back to this, you know, and again, I don't want to talk about politics, but right now, good cause eviction is a huge issue for a lot of investors here in New York. Are you familiar with what that is? No, I was going to ask you to expand on that one. Yeah, good cause eviction essentially is like rent controlled uh, situations for everybody. I have seen, I have heard about that a little bit. Yeah, good cause eviction. Right now, it's a it's a huge topic. It's a it's a really hot topic. A lot of the the people on the left are pushing for it, and then whoever is there on the right, they're pushing against it. But basically, what it's going to do is it's going to make it so that way landlords can't increase the rents. It's going to make it so you. It's going to make it extremely difficult for landlords who um, are not getting paid by their tenants to be able to go in there. And, and get their apartments back and get judgments against them. Um, they're called possessive, uh, possessive judgments, not monetary judgments. Um, so that way they can actually take the apartments back and rent them to somebody who's paying. And it's a, it's a huge topic here in New York City right now and, and New York State in general. Um, and we don't know if it's gonna pass or not, but it's definitely on the table and that's gaining a lot of headway. And, and you know, unfortunately, for landlords here and for investors, like you have to, if you're going to come to New York, you got to make sure you have the stomach for it. You got to make sure you have the bankroll for it because you have to be able to go through these ups and downs and, and, and push through and persevere because you're going to lose money in the short term. But if you hang on tight enough, you know, what's the expression? Those who stay will be champions, right? Yep. <laughs> you got to get through it, you know, but at some point, you know, th this is still a very strong market, but you have to have the stomach for it. Yeah, Absolutely. And I, I'm curious to see how that all works because there's got to be a good balance somewhere. Um, there's smarter people out, out there than me. There's, they spend more time on this. Um, and there's got to be a solution where your tenant feels secure and your landlord feels secure. Because at the end of the day, it is a business, but it does get kind of funky. We've talked about before on the show where we're dealing with people. Like you're saying, you don't want to put people out and make them homeless. Like no one wants to make somebody else homeless. Um, but first also- time, First time I ever had to evict somebody, it was a uh, uh, terrible, terrible, terrible feeling. Uh, yeah. At the same time, it's like, you know, I got a family too. Right? Yeah, and I, I was I, just gonna say, if you don't get paid rent, like now you become homeless. Yeah. So, and, and you know what? I You know, one of the things that I don't understand why the government doesn't say, you know what? All right, cool we're gonna allow these tenants to stay here, right? And we're gonna allow you to not be able to evict them. So then why don't you turn around and say, you know what, for every dollar that you don't collect in rent from these tenants that we're not allowing you to evict for, why don't you give us a credit on our taxes? Yep. Why don't you go to these billion dollar companies like Con Edison or, 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 or all the gas or whatever it is and say, you know what, you have to give these guys a credit on their gas bill or on their light bill. Like, yeah. offset the, like try to at least make it work, but they're like, nope, taxes are going through the roof. Um, the fuel cost now with COVID and everything else going through the roof, gas prices are through the roof and yeah. we still have to pay as investors. And again, I don't want to sing a sob story, man. There's guys out here that can barely go to work and, and find jobs or whatever it may be. I'm not saying I'm a victim here, but I'm just saying that there has to be some sort of balance because business has to be able to maintain to keep people working. I mean, I employ probably about 30 people. Me, one guy on this screen right now employs 30 people. If I'm not here and I'm not able to do business, that's 30 people who now have to go find jobs somewhere else. Yeah. Multiply that by millions and millions of other investors. And you're going to see that like if, if people like me and, and smaller sort of people, like they can't maintain their businesses because the city and the government won't help us, 
then you're going to see a lot more homelessness. You're going to see a lot more, you know, uh, um, people on unemployment. Because listen, at the end of the day, I, I'll if I had to, I'll go out and I'll get a job and I'll, you know, go work down in Manhattan somewhere at a PR firm or property management company. I'll you be bartend a, again. I'll bartend again. <laughs> if I have to, I'll bartend again. But I'll be able to bounce back. But the people who I employ, I don't know if they will be. So yeah. I feel like there has to be a balance between like the government and helping property investors and, and allowing business to keep going. And there's, yeah. Not- and there's, there's like a small part of me that uh, you wonder why the landlords and all them aren't, aren't being more vocal in in pushing for these kind of things. But unfortunately I feel like the reason why is because they're already looked upon as evil. We're the <laughs> evil landlords. And if we yeah. speak up for our rights, how dare you? Cause so you're, you're speaking to evict people. It's like, that's not where we're coming from. So in, I don't know if you have this in Wisconsin, but in New York, we have a lot of different um, like nonprofits or we have like a, a, it's called like the, 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 the owners association of New York city or whatever it may be. But like, we have people that do speak on our behalf, but the problem is that nobody wants to hear it. Yeah. I don't want to hear it. Like, first of all, think about the word that we keep turning around landlord, right? Like that, that term has now got such a negative connotation you're the lord of the land like it sounds ridiculous we're property owners like you know if you go back to like you know and i've been watching like this show called vikings on on prime and you go back then like people like if you own land like you literally you were a property owner and you had land that 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 was a a sign of wealth and not enough people are are looking to create that for their families like why punish us for stuff that we've you know done in our lives to get to this point but again, nobody wants to hear it. They're like, oh, you guys own properties. You guys, you guys have millions of dollars. Like, I wish, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I, <laughs> I, I wish I drive a Nissan, you know what I mean? Like, I'm yeah. not, you know, like, so I don't know, you know, and, and then you have the bad apple syndrome, right? Where it's like, you know, one bad apple, you know, spoils the bunch, right? You have landlords yeah. who have done very bad things. Like they've, they've gone and they've kicked people out of their apartments. They've locked them out of their apartments. They've shut their lights off. They've shut their gas off. You know, they're, they're taking advantage of people, right? So like, they'll go up and say, okay, you know, this, and this doesn't happen as much anymore, but in the eighties and nineties, like we used to be able to get a good increases on vacant apartments. So like I go up to somebody who wasn't so educated and say, Hey, listen, I'll give you $5,000 if you move out of your apartment. And for you, a tenant who, who makes probably 30, 40 grand a year, you see 5,000, your eyes light up. Or maybe you're, maybe you're even collecting welfare and you, and you don't have any sort of income coming in. I'm going to give you $5,000 if you move out of your apartment. You've never seen five grand in your life. But now yeah. this landlord has taken advantage of their inability to really figure out that, wait a second, if I take this five grand, he's going to make way more money than I will on this situation. And I'm going to be screwed because the next apartment I go into, the rent's going to be much higher. Yeah. And, and so the city is doing a lot. And I, I do agree with that where like, you shouldn't take advantage of people, you know, like you got to make it worth it for them. Um, but that doesn't necessarily happen as much anymore. And, and those bad apples spoiled it for us. And they've given us a bad name. Yeah. Yeah. And there's going to be bad apples and everything. I think just real estate's the craze right now. So they're going to, they're going to pick out the bad apples and make it seem like everybody is, which I got to be honest with you. I don't think, and I'm sorry to cut you off, but I don't think that real estate's the craze right now. I think that social media has made it oh, yeah. more attainable and it's more able to be seen, right? Like, to be honest, like, you know, and I don't want to, again, I, I keep saying I don't want to get political, but like, it's, it's, it's part of life, right? It's part of business. Like racism isn't new. You're just seeing it now. Right. Right. So real estate is not the craze. You're just seeing it right now. And you're seeing because of COVID people are home 
and they're watching all these people make money. And they're like, oh, you know what? I can go and flip a house. I can go and do this. And it's, it's interesting. And I think it's wonderful, to be honest with you. I'm a big Gary yeah. fan. I'm a big fan of Gary Vee. I don't know if you guys follow him at all. Oh, yeah. But he talks about like social media is not the devil. The devil really is the fact of your mind and you're not being able to control and letting what you see on, on, on this and on Instagram and on Facebook control how you do your daily life. If you use social media as a tool to learn how to flip houses, to learn how to how to budget, you know, how to how to build a stock portfolio, right? Like you should have 50% of it should be, you know, like a stable, low risk, and then 25% should be high risk, and then 25% should be moderate risk. If you learn that stuff online, you can literally teach yourself to be a millionaire from your living room, right? Right. But if, you're there, if you're on there looking at like, you know, who's got the newest music video and, and if this girl's wearing this and this, you know, like if you use it and you let it control your brain, then that's a weakness of your part. And you just have to be strong enough to use it as a tool. Yeah, I the reason why we're doing this podcast is to get those people that haven't mm -hmm. thought about real estate or on the fringe just to go out and have a little bit of confidence getting into it because it isn't rocket science. It is attainable. Um, I mean, you can start with no money and make a career in real estate. Like we've had people on here that have not spent a single of their, a single dollar of theirs. It's all been private money. Private money is more obtainable now because yep. social media, they can yep. get the word out. I've got money. I want to give it to people. Put out yep. a Facebook ad, put out an Instagram ad. It's yep. available. Yep. Um, they've got master classes that they put on live on Facebook or Instagram. All of the information's out there. It's all free. Well, not all of it's free. Most of it is free. A lot of it is um, free. Especially when you're starting, everything should be free. It's you can go find your your preliminary basic knowledge for free. Yep. Um, you don't need to go back to school for it, so you're not spending thousands of dollars there in tuition. Like the field is so wide open, and just like New York has so many different markets. Think about the nation. The nation has so many different markets. Like there's endless amount of possibilities. Once you take control of what you want and stay focused on your, your market, it's obtainable. And I'm hoping that people can get the confidence to do just what you're saying, like take control of it and become one of those people. You're not evil. Yeah, I, I think that you've touched on a lot of really good topics there, right? And the first I want to just express on is like, if you, my advice to somebody who wants to get into real estate is find somebody who's doing it and shadow them, ask them, say, Hey, listen, how did you find that property right there? You know, learn how to bird dog, right? You familiar with the phrase bird dog? Yep. Going out there, like you don't have to make no, you don't have to, it doesn't cost you anything to drive around the community and look for houses that are beat up and send it to somebody. So that way they can learn how to do that way. They can teach you how to do the research to find out the property owner. And then you just learn how to give them a call. You do that all day long. You'll learn the hardest part of real estate, which is finding the deal. Yeah. Money's not the hard part to get. It's the, it's finding the deal and valuing yeah. the deal. So I, I think you're doing something really great here, which is, you know, getting people who are on the fringe, like just spark the conversation. Start yeah. with reading the book. I always recommend Rich Dad, Poor Dad to anybody who starts getting into the business or wants to change their life from like that blue collar mindset to more of a, you know, business mindset. Um, you know, educate yourself, find somebody who's doing it. Get, listen, go on meetup.com, right? And just type in real estate networking and whatever your city is. I guarantee you that yep. you will find 20 or 30 other like-minded individuals that you could jump on and you could talk to. And more often than not, people are willing to share.
Oh, right? in, like you especially and I are, real estate. Yeah. I've yet to come up to somebody and be like, hey, I've got a question on this. And they're like, no, you're on your own. Yeah. No, right? I had a deal 10 years ago, 15 years ago, same thing happened. And like, they'll start a conversation. And I mean, talking about networking and free resources, like they're abundant everywhere. You can go on Facebook and type in real estate meetup. And yeah. there's 60 different groups that meet once really? a week. And that's in Milwaukee. Yeah. Like, yeah, so to yeah. think in New York. Yep. Like yep. exactly. Way more. Yep. Um, the information's there. You know, I remember when I was growing up, I used to, you know, my dad had the, the Encyclopedia Britannica. I don't know how old you guys are, but like before the internet, there was, if you wanted to find something out, you went in the living room and you looked for the Encyclopedia Britannica and you pulled it out and that's how you learned. Yep. And every two or three years, we bought the updated version. And that's how, and that's how you got your information. Or you went to the library and you opened up the thing and you looked for the, uh, you know, the, the, the numerical code and you had to go find the book and you had to actually sit there and read it and learn how to do stuff. Like now it's at yeah. our fingers, but like, that's how I learned how to do stuff. And, and you know, the information has been there. You just got to go out and get it. Dewey decimal system. That's I, what it is. I, I, I was it. trying to think of what I, it was. I, so it. to prove that we're not rocket scientists, it took yeah, us yeah. 20 seconds to think of that one. Yeah, yeah, um, no, and it's super cool because me being 32, I really never had to use books mm. for all this. I have bought books. I've read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I've got, if you've ever listened to Bigger Pockets, yeah. the hosts on there have written books on books and books. I think I've written or uh, read all of those. But yesterday I'm th I was researching how to, I'm not an electrician, but I do dabble. So how do you hook up and then you how do you wire in and then you look for what you're looking for and there's pictures there's videos there's there's articles it's all online i mean yeah. google houses everything so um yeah it's available so yeah i don't want to date myself but i remember when the internet first came out and it was like you had to take the phone cord out of the phone jack and plug it into your computer and literally dial in on America Online. I still have tones for that. Oh my God. I yeah. miss that. <laughs> I've only heard that dial tone three times in my life. Oh my God, stop it. Go away. Go away. You're too young. <laughs> oh man. No, I remember oh, that's that. funny. I remember my screen names from there too. Yeah, I still, my email is still my same screen name. Like one of my, I have an AOL email that I never used, but it's still there. It's, that was my screen name and it was. Oh, it's hilarious. Yeah. That's awesome. I remember when I did bartend and we'll wrap up the show because I know you got to go, but uh, you were talking about bartending. When I was in college, I bartended sitting in the back office with the owner who was in college when the internet came out, like the first yeah. ability to get online. And he was like, no way, I'm not jumping on it. This is a fad, it's going away. And now we're here. And he's Think like, about, that was the biggest mistake I've ever claimed. Think about if you would have just bought like www.nbc.com. If you just bought right? these names, if you just done that, right? Like Brilliant. the amount of money you would have made just on oh stuff God. like that. But, yeah. yeah. Didn't somebody make like 1.4 million on uh, water.com? I think Aquafina bought it. Maybe. I mean, Something it makes crazy. Sense. Yeah. The well, domain world. There's opportunities out there for everybody. Whatever everybody. you're interested in, whether it be real estate, whether it be, you know, if you're into, you know, whatever cars, whatever it may be, just go out there. And, and I encourage whoever's listening to this, whatever your interests are, just pursue it. And don't, yeah. don't live a life that's limited by, 
you know, what people think you should do. Like, you know, work your, if you're only working a job where you're working 40 hours a week and you, you know, budget your time, right? Same way you budget your money. There's, there's, you know, 24 hours in a day, seven days a week. I believe that's 168, right? You got to spend 40 of it working. That leaves 120 something hours for you to figure out to do something else, right? You got to sleep eight hours a day. That's, you know, 60, what is that? 56 hours a week. So that still leaves another 60 hours of free time, right? Mm -hmm. Put another 10 hours into, you know, whatever, uh, your health. Put another 20 hours into spending time with your wife and kids or your family or your loved ones. And then take five or 10 hours a week and carve out something that you'd love to do that you could get yourself out of that 40 hour week and try to supplement that income somehow. Yep, absolutely. Wise words. I like it. So if there are people listening that want to reach out to you or connect with you, what's the best way? Um, best way to do is, I guess, follow me on uh, Instagram, which is uh, at um, SMP Realty. Um, S-M-P-R-E-A-L-T-Y. That's my business page. And then my personal page is at Steve underscore pad. Awesome. awesome. And we'll put that in the show notes for uh, people to sure. click on as well. So appreciate uh, we appreciate the time. My pleasure. Uh, keep dominating the New York market. And next time I'm out there, I'll definitely give you a call. I appreciate it, man. Thank you guys so much for your time. And I, I really appreciate it. Anybody who's listening to this, man, if you have any questions, please just reach out to me on IG and I'll be happy to uh, share whatever it is you want to know. Awesome. That's awesome. I appreciate it. Thank you for the offer on that one. My pleasure. Thank you. Have a good weekend. Stay right. safe. Take care.